Continuing with our theme of the biblical home, the subject that we'll be discussing today about the biblical home is biblical hospitality. The first Sunday of June, Pastor Scott preached a message from 2 Samuel 9, where we were introduced to Moshebetheth, a man that was crippled in both feet. Do you remember that message? Meshibbethaph, grandson of King Saul, son of Jonathan, is called to visit King David. Come and sit at my table, he said. We saw how David took Meshibbethaph in and provided for him, gave him a place to thrive and to live, to be taken care of. Pastor Scott brought to that realization that we have all been given a place at God's table. Where Pastor Scott finished that sermon is where I'd like to start today. Do you remember how he finished that sermon? He finished it with a question. That question was, who has a place at your table? If God has invited you to his table, who have you invited to your table? Let's pray. Father God, as we look at your word and what it has for us this day, just pray that you touch each and every one of us here that, that needs to understand. We need to uh, fill our hearts with your love. And we need to understand who you have created us to be. We ask this in the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Five things that I want you to get out of today's message. One, we should respect our neighbors. Two, we should pray that we will be a safe harbor for our, neighbor, for our neighbors. Three, we learn the difference between holiness and goodness. That we learn the difference between holiness and goodness. Four, that we are all created in the image of God. That we are all created in the image of God. Five, we need to start. We need to start somewhere. If you have been a member of this church for any time, or even been a, an attender of this church, you have probably seen and know of, down in the hallway, between the door that comes in from the parking lot and the dining area, there was always a big white curtain in that hallway. Behind that curtain was where everything went to die. Put it in a box and put it behind that curtain. Quick, close the curtain up before everything falls out. All it was was a bunch of bed sheets sewn together that would cover up all of this stuff. Sunday school material, partial rolls of crepe paper from celebrations. It was crayons and popsicle sticks and you name it, you could probably find it behind the curtain took a long time to accumulate all that stuff behind the curtain. Well, a year ago, a year and a half ago, when this whole pandemic hit, we said, this would be a great time to clean that curtain out. Take all that stuff out, take the curtain down. And back in about December, Scott and I was having a conversation. We said we really ought to get that project done. 
It had set empty. We had cleaned it out. We had painted the area. It looked fairly decent. But we had a vision that we would put in some cabinets, uppers and lowers, with a nice countertop, so that we could put some of that stuff back behind closed doors so it would be more organized and it would be um, accessible. You wouldn't have to take 10 things out to get at one thing. And that the countertop could be set with electrical outlets so when we have a dinner downstairs, we can put crock pots on that countertop, plug them all in, and it'd be a place for them to sit. They won't be scattered about everywhere. So we had this vision. So in December, we thought, let's, let's get this rolling. So the first thing I did was order the cabinets. Has anybody tried to order anything lately? <laughs> When I called an order, the guy said, yeah, no problem. We'll have them here in two weeks. May came, and we still didn't have them. So it takes time for stuff to happen. Scott started building the wall to hang the cabinets on. We put the, put the studs in, put the sheetrock up, got the electrical boxes in. This all takes time. When we started the project, we said, Three or four weeks, tops, we can have this done. Now, if you go down there and look today, the cabinets are there. They're all installed. The wall's up. The drop ceiling's back up to the wall. The outlets are, have wire in them, but they, the outlets aren't there yet. The kick plate is still not on the bottom of the cabinets. The knobs and poles are still not on the cabinets. But it looks like counter area, and it can be used. It's functional. But here it is. It's, I hate to say it, folks. It's the middle towards the end of July already. So it's been six, almost seven months, and we thought three or four weeks. It takes time to do stuff. Have you noticed the lawns outside? They're nice, they're mowed, they're edged, they're, everything's been weed whacked. That takes time. Gary Tubbs, say thank you to Gary. Thank you. He's here every week volunteering his time and his talent to take care of the grounds. He does a wonderful job. Thank you, Gary. It takes time. And a lot of time, it's repetitive time. It's time and time again. That grass keeps growing, doesn't it, Gary? <laughs> so you have to keep coming back. I say this because we're talking about biblical hospitality. We're talking about loving our neighbors. We're talking about loving our unbelieving neighbors. It takes time. It takes time to build those relationships to get them to trust us and for us to trust them in a manner in which we can share the gospel and it will be heard and that God can call them and that they'll respond. So those five things, number one, respect your neighbor. Now, we read from Romans 12, 1 through 21, and I'd ask that you keep that open because we're going to pull a lot of references out of that chunk of Scripture. 
But we're going to start in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. We are commanded, and it is the second greatest commandment to love our neighbor. So how do we do that? The first step in loving our neighbor is to understand that love and approval do not always come hand in hand. For those of you that have children, do you always and have you always approved of their decisions and their actions? As a parent, no. No. Tim's sitting there with one of his children right by his side, and he's saying, no. Do not always approve of their choices and their decisions and their actions. But that does not make us love them any less, does it? The same is true of our relationship with God. Do you think God always approves of our choices and our actions? No. But do you think he stops loving us any less? No. And he doesn't love your neighbors any less either because of their actions. He loves them just as much. Our scripture for today, Romans 12, 1 and two, therefore, urge, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's mercy. What is that? It is the fact that he doesn't give us what we truly deserve. That is his mercy. And what do we truly deserve? A place called hell. Because of our sinful, fallen state. But he gave us a way back, didn't he? To a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Think of that in the, in the light of your unbelieving neighbors. Of that kind of mercy. Think of that in light of how you can love your neighbor. You don't have to approve, approve of everything that your neighbor does in order to show him mercy or her mercy. There is a difference. And as God accepted us in our fallen sinful state, we should be humble enough to do the same for our neighbors. Unbelievers need to see the genuine love and acceptance that comes from being saved. We are an image of God. We are image God. We are image of God bearing persons. And that is what we are called to be to our neighbors. John Calvin said it this way: Grace is bestowed on those whom God has set apart. But how will you know who these people are? How will you know who you are if you don't get close enough to have a deep and abiding and personal and even at times awkward conversations? And those conversations may last a lifetime. Number two, pray for yourself to be a safe harbor for your neighbors. 
we all have been at the point in our lives where we just needed someone to talk to. Someone that would listen. Someone to hear us. And someone to help. Where do you, where did you turn when you was in that spot in your life? I dare say that if you're like me, you turn to someone that you felt safe with. Safe sharing your most intimate trials of life with, someone you trusted to keep your confidence, and someone you felt that would not judge you. We need to be the, that person to those neighbors in our lives that need a place to turn to so that ultimately we can point these neighbors to Jesus, the true safe harbor for everyone. Romans 12, 3, for by grace, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. God's grace. How do we define that? It is he gives us what we do not deserve. His mercy is that he doesn't give us what we deserve, and his grace is that he gives us what we do not deserve, and that is a place called heaven. It is seasoned with this grace that we must sit with, listen to, and love our neighbors. Number three, we must learn the difference between goodness and holiness. Do you know any good unbelieving people? Do you know any nice unbelieving neighbors? There is in some people the common good that is seen by many as enough to get us into heaven. Have you ever heard that? Oh, I'm good enough. God will let me in. This is what a lot of people are banking eternity on. It is true because we are created in the image of God that we do have the ability to be nice. But it is not enough to get us into heaven. And it is true that all good things come from the Father. But it's only belief in his son Jesus Christ that will get us into heaven. Romans 2, 13 through 16. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consequences, their consciences also bear witness and their thoughts sometimes accuse them, and at other times they even defend them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secret through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. There is a difference between a good person and a saved person. So what's the difference? Living a good life, even doing good things. And living a holy or a righteous life. It's this. Goodness done by the unsaved generally points to themselves. Themselves as the creator of which that which is good. But holiness and righteousness points to the God of the universe, creator of all things and author of all goodness. 
The only way to understand this difference is to understand the bloody cross of Jesus Christ. Only the repented turned life, turned life in the place, places that places all confidences in Christ for salvation will point others to the mercy and the grace that God has provided through his son Jesus Christ. And not to themselves as a creator of goodness. This is sanctification. The working out of our salvation that produces holiness in us, all of us who believe. Let's look at it this way. Common goodness, the good person, can be defined as, look at me. While holiness and righteousness can be defined as, look at God. Holiness is understanding the fact that we are born into sin. And only through the substitution of Jesus Christ, paying for the debt that that sin has created in the road to the cross, becoming, Jesus becoming sin on our behalf, is what allows us to become righteous on his merits, not on anything that we have done. This is the call of God to us all. No matter how bad off we are, no matter how far we've wandered away from him, no matter what we've done in life, God is never too far off to rescue every one of us. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lack in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in afflictions, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. This, friends, will take time. It will take time to build relationships with people around you. It will take time to get them to trust you enough to hear the gospel so that they can accept it and apply it to their lives. It's just like those kitchen cabinets downstairs. It takes time. We'd like to think that it'd take three or four weeks, right? For people to hear the gospel and accept the gospel and come to a point in their lives where they're ready to accept the gospel. But it could take years. And you never know. What's the word say? Some water, some plant. God adds the increase. It is our job and up to us to be that planter, that sower, that waterer, and hopefully someday we'll see a harvest. Number four, we are all created in the image of God. What's your name, sir? Steve, what's, Steve? Steve? Steve, what do you do, sir? You're a forester? Huh. And where is your identity found? In Christ. Oh, in Christ. What a great answer, Steve. <laughs> identity can be labels of community groups, can be professions, can be religious affiliations. But what if we go all the way back to the beginning? all the way back to our original identity. It's found in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What if our identity, what if you found your identity in those two verses of Scripture? Image bearers of God. Steve said, in Jesus Christ, my identity is found. As an image bearer of God. If when somebody asks us what we did, oh, I'm an image bearer of God. Think that would open up any conversations? <laughs> it might shut it right down. But you've planted or you've watered, and it might open a conversation. We all know that in our culture today, just the words male and female can be hot topics. Just saying male before female can be taken as an offense. What odd times we live in. Nonetheless, God created us male and female. And he did it with value and distinctive purpose. God doesn't make mistakes. The value of human life to God is inherent and is inherited. We are God's creation. We are his children. All of us, image bearers, not instruments, not what we do or accomplish. We get pretty caught up in what we do and what we accomplish. We're so stuck today in our society with what we accomplish, our lives tend to revolve around what we do. But what if our lives revolved around who we are created to be instead of what we do? Created to be image bearers of God. How might we see our neighbors differently and how might they view us differently if they saw us in the light of who we're created to be? Reflections of the Heavenly Father. That is what has, that, it's that God that has revealed himself to you, and you have responded to that calling. Colossians 3 Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. In the image of its creator. That new self is being renewed when we see our creator for who he is. And we realize who we are created in his image. We have a relationship with God through the blood of Christ. We can become a new creation. We have a new identity. Because of that bloody cross of Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 1 reads like this. Praise be to God, the Father and Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be the holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that, is, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Do you remember the day you received Christ? When you come to an understanding of who Christ is and what he did for you, that he forgave your sins and took them upon himself. Remember we talked about the three or four weeks for your neighbors, how we'd love to see that happen for them. It probably didn't happen that way for you. So why should we expect it to happen for them? Be long-suffering brothers and sisters, with your neighbors that do not know Christ. Be that safe harbor, even when they do not respond. Because you never know when the time is going to come for their fulfillment, for their eyes to be open. The idea that Christ died for them, that God sent his son to this world, to die for them just as much as he died for you. The gift of knowing Jesus and the hope that others will come to know him as well. That's biblical hospitality done in a biblical home. It has purpose and meaning. You have purpose and meaning when you see yourself as who you were created to be, the image bearer of God. Our last point, number five. Start somewhere. The end of your driveway is a good spot. Just go down to the end of the driveway and stand there. People passing by, say hello. Start a conversation with them. They're people from your neighborhood. Break room at work. Others that you run into at the grocery store. We have, we've got to engage our neighbors in conversation to open their hearts and minds to the fact that we do care about them. And that they have a friend that they can turn to in tough times and in good times. So we can point them to Jesus the one that can save their lives and change their lives. Romans 12, 14 through 16, 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people in low positions. Do not be conceited. God, brothers and sisters, God has done so much for us. As the prayers that were, that were offered up, as Steve has offered up the prayer this morning, thanksgiving to God's goodness and our thankfulness, how, we, how can we not honor him in being his image bearer and telling others of how good he is because of how good he's been to us? So these five things. Respect your neighbors. We aren't perfect, so we shouldn't expect them to be perfect. Pray that you will be a safe harbor. Pray for opportunities to be placed in times that are tough and in good times that will put you in positions to talk to and to be around those who do not know Jesus. Learn the difference between holiness and goodness. The difference between look at me and look at God. We are all created in his image. All. Be patient. It takes time. God desires everyone to be saved. Start somewhere. Start today. Pray today for somebody that you have in your mind for an opportunity. Either you run into them at a store, you see them on a walk, Maybe you go knock on their door. Say, hey, how's life? Start today. Trust God to lead you and to start loving your neighbors. I'll end this message with where we started. Where Scott ended. Back on the first week of June. Who has a seat? Who has an invitation? into your life. Let's reflect on that for a moment and pray. <clears throat> Father, we give you all the glory for these words the way that you spill into our hearts and the way that you touch our minds. Father, I just pray that we take a full measure of what you provided this day and put it into practice in our lives. Because there are those outside of these walls, those on our left, in our right, in our neighborhoods, that need to know you. We live in a dark world that's getting darker. We need to shine the light. Father, I pray encouragement and blessings as we follow you in this practice. We give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.